Welcome to Scatterbrain Podcast, Season 2. This is Episode 48. Happy 2021, Scatterbrains. Let's hope this year sucks a little bit less than the last one, right? Cue the intro. Let's go. Okay, so it's recording now. Okay. So, um, let's see here. The grass was green in the Scottish Everglades. That doesn't exist. Welcome to Scatterbrain episode. Insert number here. So what's going yeah, on? Yeah, Ian. So uh, we're kind of changing things up a little bit this week. Uh, we're going to have someone on who is a fellow podcaster. His podcast is the last podcast you'd want. He pretty much just talks about movies and that kind of thing. He's kind of interesting. And he's sort of uh, how I found out about Anchor, which is the platform that we're publishing on. And I talked to him a little bit at some point when we started to see how he was doing things remotely, how he was recording remotely. So he really helped us out in that regard. Have you heard the podcast at all? Yeah, I've listened to it. It's pretty good. Yeah. You know, he's a movie buff and he has some interesting people on. Um, he's also done the pro wrestling thing, which I, that's actually how I ran into him. So we could talk about that here in a little bit. You mean like, um, with the, you mean with the dirty Ron or something? Um, different promotion. Oh, okay. Yeah. But that's, uh, we can talk to him about that a little bit. Okay. But yeah. Well, uh, it'll be interesting to talk to him, kind of hear a little bit about how he got his podcast going and about the pro wrestling thing. Cool. So looking forward to it. Yeah. So stay tuned, and we will be back with the interview. Yes, hello. Thanks for coming on, Steve. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's it's uh, it's you know I, I'm gonna say it's the second podcast I, I've done since starting my own. So I'm happy to be a guest. Awesome. Well, I actually won't say got into the podcasting thing because of you, but you were instrumental in turning me onto the Anchor platform, and then you had I had reached out to you I think over Twitter. And asked you how you were doing the remote recording, and that's been really helpful for us. So I, uh, thank you for that. And I was I was glad to help. It's it's when it comes to people in the world of podcasting, uh, I'm I'm very grateful, humbled uh, that that I was able to help provide the platform for you. Uh, I know several people that have told me, uh, you know, that essentially me starting a podcast was the reason for them starting a podcast. So I try to be helpful whenever I can. Uh, any advice. Uh, merely because I went through many trials and errors in starting it of my own that when someone gave me advice, I was just so grateful for it uh, that I always just try and pass it on whenever I can. Yeah, so I had initially wanted to talk about the pro wrestling thing first, but since we're on it, tell me about how you got into the podcasting and uh, how long it took you from when you thought about it to when you oh, actually implemented. From conception to launch was five years from the moment I, I thought of starting the podcast to actually starting the podcast. It took me that long because I had originally gonna, I was originally going to start it with another gentleman named Steve, uh, who I was friends with, but he ended up moving to Arizona. Like the month that we were going to start recording, he had all of the equipment. He had everything. And within a month of that, his mother had to have surgery on her arm. He had to move back to, to Arizona to take care of her for like, you know, for whatever that was. And so it just slipped through my fingers. Uh, but the name of the podcast, The Last Podcast You'd Want, has essentially always been the name of the show. 
I was originally going to name it The Last Podcast on the Left, but there was already a podcast by that name. Yep. Uh, and the reason we were going to name it that is because the first movie that we were going to talk about was Last House on the Left. Uh, the remake, not the West, not the West Craven original, but the remake. From that point, people came into my life and came out of my life that I had approached about doing the podcast because I had always wanted to do it as a co-host. I never wanted to do it as a solo gig, uh, and it ended up being so long of of getting to someone, and then we'd do it, and then something would come up. They'd have to move. They'd get a full time job. Uh, in the time that I started this podcast to now, I have had multiple friends that have wanted me to come on as their guest and I'm just not able to do it. I, t I tell them I, I, I have too much with my show. Uh, I, of course I, you do. You're on like <laughs> show 82 or 83 I'm, and I know you're well recorded out into the future. So you're definitely putting a lot of time in. I'm trying to keep as busy as possible. So what initially happened is I actually had the Anchor app on my phone for probably three months before I even touched it. And this was just me just not having the testicular fortitude to move forward. So initially what I did is I was at work one day and I had my lunch and I just went out to my car and I just said, fuck it, let's record it. And I, I sat down and I recorded the first episode. I finished recording it and I was happy with what I did. And I put it out in the world and I went, well, I'm started. I can't stop now. Well, you've had some interesting a good good breadth of uh, guests on i mean who who are some of your favorites i mean because I, I i admittedly i don't list, listen to every single one i look at the title look at who it is and pick my my few you know because i'm like wow i can't believe he really yeah. got him that's really cool yeah so, you've had some really cool guests on there uh, and i've been i've been very fortunate so i'll give you a quick story on one of my favorite guests and i kind of gave the story on the podcast i have a friend who does a podcast of his own the nighttime show his name is Steven Kramer Glickman. He's actually been on uh, the Nickelodeon show Big Time Rush. Uh, he's a stand-up comedian. He's done a bunch of stuff. But he has his own podcast. And part of that is, is he does a live show at, I believe it's the Hollywood Improv. And since I've known this dude since I was in high school, he just comps me in. He's super nice. We go way back. He puts me on the guest list. So I was fortunate enough to go there when he had Leonard Maltin and Leonard's daughter Jessie as guests. They had an upcoming uh, mar uh, movie marathon festival that they called Malton Fest. And so I ended up talking with Jesse to try and get them on the show. From that, she ends up talking with her. I end up talking with her and end up going to Malton Fest. From Malton Fest, I get probably one of my favorite guests. And unfortunately, since now, he has passed on. But it's Academy Award nominated actor Robert Forrester. I was very fortunate enough in getting him and the fact that he parked in a pay lot and the attendant was not there. He left for the theater. The attendant came back and I essentially went up to the attendant and I said, this gentleman has every intention of paying when he's done. Does he need to pay now? And the attendant said, if my manager shows up and he doesn't have a ticket, he's going to get towed. I pulled money out of my pocket as fast as I could. I said, you throw a ticket on that car. This is, this is the money for it. I go inside. I see Robert Forrester. I go, hey, Mr. Forrester, I, I just want to let you know I paid, for, I paid for your parking. The attendant you know, was kind of looking at the car. I wanted to make sure you were okay. He offered to pay me back right there. He pulled money out of his pocket and said, here you go. I said, no, I, I, the only thing I would love is for you to do my podcast. He, he insisted on me doing, on taking the money. He gave me his email. 
And that was a Sunday and Thursday that next week I was recording my episode. Uh, so that I was very fortunate enough in, I'd say that's one of the biggest guests I've had. But for the, for the common day man, not everyone is going to know who Robert Forrester is. Uh, I've been lucky enough. I've had Wee Man. Uh, I've had Rick Kosick and Lance Bangs, who are all part of the Jackass family. Uh, I just recently released Clint Howard, which was a blast. It was probably one of the funnest episodes because uh, I didn't even ask him any of the questions. Like I have, I have my set questions for my show because my show is all about me talking about movies. I love movies. My mom worked in a video store from the time I was nine years old till about 15, 16 years old. So I had a nice, you know, seven years where all I, I just rented move, any movie I wanted. Not to mention the fact that I've worked at four separate movie theaters in which I can, I can, I was able to watch any movie I wanted. So movies are, are just something I'm very passionate and I could literally talk all day about it so much. I started a podcast and Clint Howard, all we did was just talk about his work. We didn't, I didn't ask him any of the normal questions. I didn't ask him if he'd ever walked out of a movie in the movie theater. I didn't ask him the first movie to give him nightmares, a movie he could watch every day. No, we just talked purely about his work because the man has such an extensive work. He has over 250 credits on IMDb. So That's amazing, yeah. Uh, so I, I've been very fortunate with that. I've had the first, the first big name I ever had, what I would consider a big name, was Tony Ganios. And Tony Ganios played Meat in the original Porky's. And he was in Porky's, Porky's 2, Porky's 3. And I was just very fortunate enough to have him on the show. Uh, and he was a real great guest. And right after him, I had Andrew Cassess, who played Harold Wormser in Revenge of the Nerds and Revenge of the Nerds 2. Yeah, that was a good one. Uh, so so I, it's, it's really, and it's, it's a real grind. Like, I don't, I don't talk about it a lot just because I don't want to complain on my own podcast and I don't want to make it seem like complaining. Uh, but I've easily contacted a thousand quote-unquote celebrities and you've seen the return I've gotten. I've gotten, you know, not even a 10% return. It's a, it's a, it's a real grind. Clint Howard was a big one for me. Oh, see, see, you had Clint Howard. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. And that one, that one was purely because I posted a photo of a VHS, a VHS box of parenthood. And I hashtagged Clint Howard and he liked it. From his Instagram, Clint Howard liked that photo. I went and saw it was the actual Clint Howard, and I just I just threw the ball out and I just messaged him. I said, uh-huh. "Hey, I'd love to have you on the show." Yeah, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Yeah, I I've been and but it, it all comes down to uh, I'm very fortunate enough of the guests I have, uh, and and it's more than just the the set questions. I like to do ranking episodes. The uh, 82 that I just put out is me and my two best friends in the whole wide world. My brothers, essentially, and we ranked our top 15 favorite video game movies that have been made. That's Can you funny. tell us what number one is? Uh, <laughs> Super Mario Brothers, hands down. <laughs> yeah. Ian and I you were just talking about doing some lists, actually, weren't we, Ian? Yeah, yeah. Uh, favorite favorite bands and favorite albums and that kind, of, that kind of thing. Yeah, it sounds like fun. Oh, man, so, Fa- favorite album. That gets me going. I can tell you right now, my favorite album is probably going to be a Weird Al album. Let's hear it. What is it? Going off my head of all the bands I love and listen to, it Weird Al would probably be my probably maybe Bad Hair Day. That was the wow. first Weird Al album I ever bought. But best concert I've ever seen, best concert I've ever seen live, Weird Al Yankovic. Did you see him in Del Mar? 
I, he played I've at the seen, fairgrounds. I've seen, him, I've seen him like three times at Del Mar. Yeah, I saw him at Del Mar. Gosh, that must have been it's a man. You guys are five or six him? years ago. Oh. Yeah, it was really good. It was pretty funny. Best, I, I I say I tell everyone I've seen I've seen some amazing. I've been fortunate enough. Once again, this is very fortunate enough that I've been able to see uh, some great great bands. I saw Jane's Addiction open up for Kiss in '96 on their Psycho Circus tour. Right before Jane's Addiction broke up for the first time, uh, I've been fortunate enough that I've seen Mel Torme with the Pointer Sisters. I've seen Soulfly. I've seen Corn with Seven Dust. Best concert I've ever seen live. Weird Al. Didn't you say you saw Jada Pinkett Smith's band or something? Yeah, Wicked Wisdom. Yes. Wicked. Were, were Wisdom. they good? Were they any good? I remember. Be them honest. Opening, no, I remember them opening up, and I remember. Jada Pickett opening up with this horrible line of like, do you love me? And I remember looking at my friend and I'm like, no, I do not. And then she death, <laughs> and then she death growled. And then I looked at my friend and went, I think I'm in love. Just maybe, right? <laughs> What's the name of her band? Do you remember? Wicked Wisdom. Wicked, well, oh, like, yeah, you said that. Okay, sorry. <laughs> no, no, that, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. Jada Pickett Smith with her heavy metal band was something else. That was with that was with Soulfly at. Uh, uh san diego house of blues oh god that must have been 2007 maybe or you know i think i went to that show actually but i don't think i was there for them all right yeah i think Ian. i think i went with jim to that one way back then yeah so you were you were for wicked wisdom and soulfly um but i don't think i saw wicked wisdom i think i just showed up for soulfly yeah, they were they were definitely one of the openers. There were there were three openers, and I want to say Wicked Wisdom was the second one that opened. Mm-hmm. Clearly, you have a wide variety of music you like. Um, so you say that Weird Al is your favorite concert you've ever been to. Yeah, hands down. What's the, what's the least favorite concert you've ever been to? Have you been to dragged one that was just totally insufferable? Could, Someone dragged I, you, or no? I could tell you right now, it was a concert I was super excited for. I bought tickets to. Uh, they were playing at the Belly Up Tavern in uh solana beach they were 45 minutes late to start halfway through the set they took a 25 minute break the only redeeming factor that i would say about the band is they bought a keg for the audience but i don't drink alcohol they played everything basically off of the newest album that they had made they did maybe three songs from everyone would know what they did except for triangle man and that would be they might be giants. I've been pretty fortunate, fortunate to never really hate hate a concert that I've been to, but I've been to some stuff that would totally fall out of my comfort zone, you know? Yeah, I, I, every concert I've ever been to, I, I've had fun. I've enjoyed myself, uh, except for they might be giants. I did not enjoy them at all. But yeah, no, I, I definitely would say I have a very eclectic taste in music. Uh, Weird Al would be up there, but it, it's like yesterday... Um, and I think it's so funny because yesterday I bought a album of an artist who that day announced their uh, candidacy for president. Oh, interesting. You bought one from him, huh? I bought the college dropout. On vinyl? <laughs> uh, no, just for my phone. I was listening, oh, I see. I was listening to it on YouTube and they had commercials. And I went, nah, I just I want to hear the whole thing. Because it's funny, uh, I, I, I went through some really, some really hard times in my life where I was, I was partially homeless just couch surfing from friend to friend. And The College Dropout was just an album that got me through some really rough times. Uh, and listening to it yesterday, I'll, I, I posted on Facebook, I, I'll stand by it, flawless album. There is not a single track on there that, that doesn't bang, that I don't love. Uh, Who's that, Bob? 
Kanye West. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, got it. It's his first album. It's his first album, The College Dropout. For me, flawless album. I absolutely love it. But yeah, no, Weird Al Bad Hair Day would probably be like my number one favorite album. Like, I, I mess with so much. Like, I, I love Simon and Garfunkel. I love, you know, the Beatles. Uh, one of the, the best concerts uh, up there is Me First and the Gimme Gimmies, who is nothing but a cover band. What it's, do they do? What do they do? Co- I've never cover, heard. Co- covers. You've never heard of my, Me First and the... All no. they do is all they do is covers. That's the old, but it's it's the bass player for the Foo Fighters. It's the lead singer of Operation Ivy. It's the guitarist of the Swinging Utters. It's just a bunch of members from different punk bands. That's that a great cre- name. That create <laughs> that created a a cover band, and all they do they don't do anything original. And the best thing about it is when they were in concert. At the beginning of just about every song, the lead singer, as they would start doing it right before he'd sing, would go, by the way, this is a cover. <laughs> That's pretty good. I, I love music. Like, <laughs> music and movies are like things that I could just talk about for hours on end. What is your, I mean, what is your favorite movie, by the way? Mm, what day of the week is it? My usual go-to answer is Blues Brothers. Really? Um, oh, hands down, Blues Brothers. For me, uh, it's... A, a musical that's not a musical because it, you get a full story that you can be fully involved with because whether you're religious or not, you're going you're gonna to connect with it through, through the religious aspect of them doing right by the nuns and right by the people that raised them, or you're going to connect through it through that, once again, religious spiritual way of the music or just the music in its own right. Uh, it's about brotherhood. It's about family. It's about good. Uh, it's about defeating evil. Like it, there's so many great things about the Blues Brothers, and it's got an amazing cast. Uh, to Dan Aykroyd and Belushi as the Blues Brothers themselves, you get Aretha Franklin, you get Ray Charles, you get James Brown, you get uh, Cab Calloway. Uh, you, like, like I can go on. Like the the cast is amazing. Uh, besides that, you get Henry Gibson, you get Carrie Fisher, you get one of the few films that Steven Spielberg has acted in. Uh, you get Frank Oz. The list really just goes on and on of the great talent that's in that movie. That's amazing. You you have such a memory for that stuff. Well, let me ask you this. So you worked in a movie theater. Um, you love concerts. And obviously we're in a unique situation now where we're not able to go out, you know, as much. Sure. Um, and I know that move, the movie theaters uh, have sort of been struggling to present much that people can really enjoy that they couldn't at home. Um, I mean, I mean, I know I like to go to some of the nicer theaters and you kick back. I mean, there is something cool about getting out of the house and reclining and grab a beer or something and just kick back and watch a movie on a big screen with a big sound system. But I think that allure is decreasing less and less as you can get more and more things at home. Sure. How do you think, uh, I mean, I suspect some of the, the indie theaters are going are gonna to go down in this and probably some of the locations of the large ones. How do you think the industry is going to um, adjust to this situation? What do you think they're going to do long term? Well, I think it's real interesting because the local five and dime theater, as I like to call it, it's, it's called the Tameku. Uh, they are a theater that gets uh, second to third run films. For instance, uh, Playing With Fire, the John Cena Fireman movie came out in November and (laughs) they were playing it in May. Like they got it fresh, like in April, May, like right before this whole thing happened. 
So they just recently retried to open when, when the, the country was and the state was opening back up. And they, they had all of these implicated rules of what they wanted from the theater. And I think it's, it's interesting because I love going to the movies. If there's one thing that, that I love more than movies, it's going to the movies. It's buying the ticket. It's getting the ghee dunk, the popcorn, the soda, the candy, if you want that. Or you just sneak the candy in because it's an arm and a leg at the theater. Did you um, just say ghee dunk? I did say ghee dunk. I did, <laughs> awesome. I did, I did. That's, a little, that's a little lingo that my mother, my mother passed on to me. <laughs> I have never heard that. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's, she was from the South. I don't know if it's a Southern thing or if it was just my mom being my mom thing. But yeah, ghee dunk. Yeah, the ghee dunk. Uh, and it's it's going and and going to the movies has progressed so much more. Uh, I remember the days when you didn't have the the Thursday night. You know, the nowadays a movie comes out on a Friday, but the theater gets it on Wednesday, and we'll do a Wednesday midnight, and then they'll do an all day Thursday, and then there's Friday opening. I remember when you had to buy when if you wanted to go opening night, you had to buy the ticket. You had to get there as soon as you could if you wanted good seats because it wasn't always the pick-your-own-seat. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners know exactly what I'm talking about, but I'm, I'm old enough that I've, I've lived through such a progression of movie theaters that I remember getting uh, to the theater at 5 o'clock for a 7 o'clock movie and finding out where the line was where there's already 12 people. And then it's, it's you know, my dad going, I'll go buy the popcorn, you go get the seats. And knowing where kind of where we want to sit and, and hoping that this, the area that you want wasn't taken. And it's progressed so much to where you pick the seat you want now. And, and with that, the theaters reopening are trying to limit the space. So they're going every other aisle. They're, only, they're doing the pre-arranged pre, pre seating, only sitting you with people that you came with. But then they want you to keep your mask on for the whole movie, which I can kind of understand but if you have your popcorn and you have your soda, it's just going to be a pain, even in the dark, to be taking it on and putting it on. You know, taking sure. it off, on, taking it off, putting it on. That uh, until America can learn to be less privileged and, and wanting more for themselves, because that's what they were babied and, and handed with for years and years and years uh, with participation trophies, that movie theaters shouldn't be opening. Uh, movie theaters, as much as I love them, as much as I miss going to them, because if there's one thing that I definitely fucking miss, it's getting out of this house uh, away from my mother-in-law and even sometimes my wife and going to the movies and enjoying myself. The last movie I saw in the theater before everything shut down was The Hunt, which is a horrible movie, but I outright enjoyed it. I thought When it was did that come out? But you've got me beat. The last movie I saw in the theater was Frozen 2. Oh, man. <laughs> but before that was the Slayer one, so that was pretty good. That probably cancels out somehow, yep. right? Mine was with you, Dan, that Halloween movie back in, jeez. Oh, yeah. Beginning of you November. See, you saw the Halloween, right, Steve? The, Dan, the, the, the Danny McBride Halloween, yes, sir. Yeah. I really enjoyed that one. Uh, I'm really yeah. excited for, for the sequel that's coming out, Halloween Kills. Let's see. I'm shocked they're doing another one. Oh, I'm really excited for it. I'm kidding, um, I'm kidding. Do you have a worst movie of all time in your in your bank? Like, is there a movie that you just think is absolute garbage? Don't even bother. Because it seems like yeah. you kind of just like movies. Period. Kids. 
Oh, kids, that's right. March yeah, that 13th. March 13th is when the hunt came out. Yeah, kids is an absolute waste of time. I'm pretty sure we talked about this on our episode. 94 uh, there are, or something? There, there are a handful of movies that I could, I could say just don't bother. Uh, kids, Envy with Jack Black and Ben Stiller. Here's the crazy thing. I like Jack, that one, actually. <laughs> Jack, Jack that movie Black drives me nuts. Ben Stiller, Amy Poehler... Christopher Walken. No, I walked. I saw that movie for free in the theater. I worked for a movie theater. I saw it for free. I looked at my friend 20 minutes in and I was like, I'm pretty sure we'd have more fun playing video games at home. To which the dude two rows in front of us heard this, turned around and said, yeah, that actually sounds better. And we just, <laughs> we just got up and left. I've got a handful of movies that I've walked out of. I walked out of that one. I walked out of Ultraviolet with uh, Mila Jovovich or whatever her name is. Uh, my wife and I walked out of Jupiter Ascending with Mila Kunis and Channing Tatum. We sat through all of the green room with Patrick Stewart and Anton, what's his name from Star Trek that passed away? And we probably should have walked out of that one. And Steven Spielberg's The BFG was a big piling steam of poop. Yeah, that was horrible. That was really funny. The funniest scene that I'll watch, I'll, I'll, I'll go on Netflix just to watch the scene of the queen farting. The scene where everybody farts is the funniest scene. I was in tears <laughs> laughing so hard. And that was the only good thing about that movie for the BFG is the, yeah. is the farting juice. I don't remember that, actually. I was so checked out of that when I took oh. my my son to it and it was not good at all. It's, it's once they get into England and they're meeting the queen. It's like it's like twelve people I want to say, or eight. It's like eight to twelve people, and it's all old dudes, and it's the Queen and of England, and they're all farting. It's hilarious. I'm a thirty-something-year-old man, and I'm still like laughing my ass off at fart jokes. Like farts are always funny. It does. You don't. I don't think you outgrow them for dudes. <laughs> no, I don't think so. So speaking of um, immature men, children. Oh, I wrestling. Say, yeah. Wrestling. I, I want to. <laughs> I want to show you something. Okay. Just just because. So do you recognize this? Oh, snap. Yeah. I made that. Yes, you did. <laughs> that, is a, that is a duct tape wallet. Yeah, yeah. You guys did a, for the high school, you did a fundraiser back in January, like 2018, I think, somewhere around there. And that's actually how I came across you as the douchebag Everett Scott that's right the leader <laughs> the leader of Everett Scott International one of the one of the greatest stables to ever grace the presence of SoCal Pro Wrestling may it rest <laughs> in peace uh, not SoCal Pro Wrestling but Everett Scott International so how long did you wrestle with those guys i guess maybe maybe step back further and i would presume you liked wrestling as a kid right and uh, so i got into wrestling in high school in 1999 the first real memory i have of professional wrestling was chris jericho's debut i was flipping the channels and i remember seeing that but that's not what drew me into wrestling what drew me into wrestling is when a bunch of my high school friends formed this club that we called like the mxs science it was some weird club that that I was a senior and they were sophomores and we, we liked the same science fiction shows and then they liked pro wrestling. So I tried watching it. And the first thing I truly remember that I was like, I like this was Crash Holly was Crash Holly walking down to the ring with a big scale over his shoulder 
you know, weighing in, you know, at, at six foot tall at allegedly 500 <laughs> pounds. And it's this little short guy. And anyone that knows me that knows Steve or Everett, I'm not I'm not a tall guy. So I loved I loved the, the small guy to start with. So I started watching wrestling. And I really got into it. And the way I got into SoCal Pro is in, oh, geez, I can't even remember the year it started. Uh, but it's been around for, I think, 13 years. So 13 years ago or so, I was working at Target with uh, a kid that I went to junior high school with. His name was Paul. His name is Paul. He's still alive. Uh, we're still friends. And uh, we traded tapes. Uh, I had tapes of WWE. He had old tapes of TNA. So we'd start swapping tapes. Uh, come to SoCal Pro starting. The promoter, Jeff Dino, friends with Paul as well. I also went to junior high with, with Jeff. Asks Paul, do you know anyone that likes pro wrestling? Paul automatically thinks of me. Jeff hits me up on Facebook. Hey, I'm starting a wrestling promotion. I'd love for you to be at the first show. I will gladly comp you in. He comped me into the first show. First show of SoCal Pro, spectacular. Scott Lost was on that show. The Young Bucks versus the Ballards was on oh. the first SoCal Pro show. Ballard, uh, the Bucks actually wrestled for SoCal Pro three times. There's a handful of names of talent that has continued on to bigger things that have wrestled for SoCal Pro. Now, they didn't get their start at SoCal Pro, but Robert R Ricardo Rodriguez of the WWE wrestled as Chimera in SoCal Pro. Uh, the Young Bucks, Frankie Kazarian wrestled there at one point. Carl Anderson wrestled there yeah. at one point, right before he got signed to New Japan. Scott Lost, uh, I, for those that, in the independent scene that know Scott Lost, is just an amazing wrestler. Uh, but for the 10-year anniversary, Jeff got Rey Mysterio. I didn't go to that show. I really wanted to, but I saw... That's actually how I learned about SoCal Pro. I went to the NXT show, I believe, down at SDSU, and they were passing out flyers. Oh, then, the, you saw, the, then, then you saw me there as well. Were you there for the, the beginning of the show when they interviewed me? Uh, oh, I wasn't there at the 10th anniversary. No, no, I couldn't oh, make no, it. Oh, no, no, no. I'm in at the NXT show at SDSU. I was there. When, were, were you there when they were interviewing the people around the audience? Before the probably, show started? Probably. I was walking around doing all this stuff and hearing stuff, you know. But you were on there? <laughs> they came up to me and they asked me. They, it's like they just they fed me the shot to just... They gave me the alley and I gave them the oop. Because it was it was Bobby Roode versus I forget who at the show. And he, he asks me in front of everyone, he's on the mic, I'm on the Titantron, who do you think is going to win? And I go, Bobby Roode. And he goes, why do you think Bobby Roode is going to win? And I went, one word, glorious. And the whole audience, the whole audience starts, glorious. And it was that Vic, Nick or Vic kid, I forget wh which one it was, what his name was, but he just kind of looked at me and he's like, oh, I just kind of walked right into that one, didn't I? Yeah, <laughs> I was. that was the same night that uh, Ty Dillinger got, got called up, right? I think that, yeah, that was, was, that yeah. was Ty's, that was Ty, Ty faced Bobby Roode at that show. Okay, yeah. So yeah, we were both there. Funny, we ran into each other at Survivor Series too in 2018, I think as well. I remember that you did. Mm -hmm. I remember, uh, uh, and not not to put you too much on the spot, but I remember you coming up and you you asked me, "Aren't you the manager of Dirty Doug?" Yeah, I couldn't remember it at the time because I was like, <laughs> "What is his name?" It's okay, <laughs> and it, it's fine. And and here's here's the fun thing. So going back to the whole the whole start of it is Jeff started the promotion. Uh, I went to the first show. I loved it. I showed up to the second show early. 
because my brother uh, didn't want to go and just dropped me off early. And I helped with the ring. And that's essentially as I started. Third show, ring crew. Fourth show, ring crew. And I was ring crew. And uh, up until about one year, uh, there was a promotion ran by uh, a, a piece of garbage individual named uh, Donald Medina, DJ Medina, DJ Anderson, call him what you will. Uh, if you are in the world of professional wrestling and you ever have to deal with this man, don't. Just walk the other way because he's a piece of garbage and you have to take him to court like he did. Um, and uh, he was working with two individuals, uh, Rick and Vic Dynamic. They are the announcers of SoCal Pro. Uh, and they let me referee the show. And that is how I got awesome. to essentially the world of wrestling. Uh, I started as a referee. I refereed for uh, six years. Around my fifth year, Tommy Wilson and Anchors Away started talking to Jeff about making me a manager, about having me stop wrestle, about having me stop refing and having me move on to a new a new role. It took a full year of talking to Jeff to convince him to give me a shot as a manager. And it's interesting. Can I ask you really? I don't mean to interrupt you, Steve, no, but as a as a referee, because I mean I've I've thought of what it takes to be a good referee. And there's a lot of things that are important to that. And I've seen matches that, I mean, I've even seen them at, at WWE, you know, and like where the ref, there's stuff going on. And it's like the ref does things that do, don't even make any sense. Almost like they're just, they, like, we're just going to pretend that we all know it's not predetermined. It's still a act of athleticism and so it's, forth, it's, right? No, I, I'll gladly say, I'll gladly say predetermined. I'll gladly yeah. say predetermined. And, I'll, and, and just to interject real fast, because this is always a fun one for me, uh, because anyone, anyone that likes to, to uh, if, if you want to say it's fake, I'll take, I'll take it's fake once or twice. Um, but I, I straight said this to a customer once while I was on the clock, because his son really wanted to, this was when I worked at Blockbuster, and his son really wanted to rent a wrestling DVD and kept talking about it. And he kept saying, oh, that fake stuff, all oh, that fake stuff. And I eventually looked at him and I said this to my manager once who took me up on it. And I said, hey, let me give you one punch. Let me give you one chop and let me give you one forearm. And you can just you can decide how fake it is. Yeah, those chops are no joke. I've heard football and hockey players say they would never do it. It's too much. Yeah, yeah. Well, what yeah. I... What I what I always like to interject, and then I'll let you continue, uh, is is fans that are people that are fans of MMA. Uh, I always like to look at them and go, "Oh, I don't watch that fake bullshit. I like the real stuff, like professional wrestling." I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, what was a challenge as a rest as a referee? Because there's a lot there where you have to sort of facilitate stuff. I presume you're passing information, right? If someone gets hurt, legitimately, right? But uh, yes. How do you how do you I don't know. Everything to me, and I'm a, I'm a wrestling fan. Everything to me is is about getting sucked into the moment, you know. And you see the guys up there, and they're shouting out and doing stuff. And like people don't do that in real life, sure. but you get sucked in. And part of that is the ref. How do you kind of fulfill that role? And how did you find that in the transition? I guess I'll segue into how did you transition then into being the manager in that? Because it's a very different role. I mean, I I hated you. As as a God, I hate this guy. This guy's so annoying, you know. Yet here I am with your duct tape wallet in, and uh, like I told Ian on a previous episode, like, oh, this guy, you know, he keeps liking our stuff, and he seems nice. I want to like him, but God, he was such a douche. <laughs> so, sure. how did that? How did you play that role, and then how did that transition into, you know, more of the Man. manager type thing? Yeah. Sure. Well, what it comes down to 
is, and this will be, uh, as I like to say, a little inside baseball for you and anyone that's a wrestling fan. My job as a referee, what I would do, and this isn't what every referee does. This is what I did in the six years that I was a referee, just from what I'd learned. I'd walk up to the opponents as they're, they're doing whatever, whether or not you want to believe they discuss their match. Um, I walk up to them and I go, who's over? Meaning who's winning? And they tell me who. And I look at them and I go, what's the finish? Meaning, what's the finishing move? What am I looking out for? Other than that, I go, is there anything else I need to know? And they, if, they, if there's a big spot that they need to involve me with, they let me know the big spot that I'm involved with. Otherwise, I just walk away. Who's over? What's the finish? That's all I need to know. Because my job as a referee, uh, by the time I got to that point, because I used to like to sit there and listen and, and, and figure out their matches just so, like, I was never trying to put myself over, but if there was ever a chance to put myself over, I would take it. If there was ever a spot where they were possibly talking about doing a referee bump, a spot <laughs> referee, I took it. One of my favorite spots ever, and I didn't even work my way into this. This is a spot that, that, that they got from someone else who I won't mention because they're currently under scrutiny. You could probably guess who I'm talking about once I tell you the maneuver. But it, I'll tell you the wrestlers involved. It was Peter Avalon and this female wrestler named New York Nikki. Now, what the spot was, and this is just a great spot that I was involved with that I lucked into. It was Nikki went to kick Peter. Peter grabbed the kick. He threw the kick out. When he threw the kick out, the kick hit me in the crotch. I grabbed my crotch, ah, hit my knees, my forehead into Peter Avalon's crotch. Peter Avalon, oh, his crotch, his face into New York Nikki's chest. He stops, he freaks out for a second, pulls back, realizes his head was in her chest, and then shoves his face right back in the chest. So which, which promotion was this for? Uh, this was for a promotion called New Wave Pro Wrestling, which was ran by uh, the tag team Anchors Away, which is no longer <clears throat> around. A great claim to fame for New Wave Pro Wrestling, though, they gave uh, Rusev, and they gave Luchasaurus their first matches. I was actually the wow. ref I was the referee for Luchasaurus's first match. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, he's a pretty he's a pretty cool guy. I want to say his uh, well, I won't say his actual name now, but he's a really cool guy. He wrestled under he wrestled in NXT for a while, and then he let go like uh, got let go from NXT, and then he started the Luchasaurus gimmick. Right on. So um, you worked with some. Pretty good wrestlers, too. I mean, in the SoCal Pro promotion. Um, who, I'm not trying to be a dick because I'm sure a lot of these guys are cool, but like, who are the most fun? Because to me, I, I had certain ones. I, I mean, I always liked Anthony Idol and his his character. I thought Judez did some great stuff with his um, athleticism. Sure. Who were some of the matches for you when you were involved, whether it was as a manager or a ref, to just like be in there even closer? You know, uh, I mean, who, who were the certain ones that you really. That Tommy, were just really good. Tommy Wilson, hands down. He doesn't wrestle anymore, but Tommy Wilson. Tommy Wilson was uh, one of the main people pushing for me to become a manager, and Tommy Wilson was the main person that I feuded with for the majority of ESI's run. Once he left ESI and moved on to other targets, uh, Tommy Wilson was always fun. Uh, SoCal Crazy has always been a blast to work with. Yeah, that guy's good. <sighs> When it, when it gets down to it, 
he's he's one of he's he's a super fun and I'll I'll just straight say the name. I don't mind talking dirt on this person. This is a person that's super fun that to work in the ring, but if you catch them in the wrong light or if you catch them when they're in a bad mood, they're one of the worst people to be around. And that's the honky tonk man. <laughs> yeah, didn't didn't he do something at Del Mar a few years ago? Uh, I mean, he's done things all yeah. around. But with, I, with SoCal Pro in particular? Oh, I, I mean, it's... Okay, so the SoCal Pro shows at Del Mar Fair, in reality, what that is, is that's a promotion called WPW World Pro Wrestling out of Florida that doesn't have the money to bring the talent out from Florida. So he's just been doing this gimmick at the fair for years upon years upon years. And he ended up renting the ring from Jeff and then found out Jeff ran a promotion and had the talent. So what it just turned into is it essentially just turned into a SoCal Pro show. So whereas Honky Tonk Man has never actually officially wrestled on a SoCal Pro show, you could say Honky Tonk Man has wrestled for SoCal Pro. Part of the reasoning I, I do have, uh, what I, what, my, my beef, if that's what you want to call it, because I think it's malarkey, is I did uh, shows for years, and, and Wayne, his real name is Wayne, I'll call him by his real name, Wayne knows who I am. He remembered me year after year as the referee. And then I became a manager, and we worked some great stuff as a manager. And then uh, last year at the fair, uh, I asked him to do my podcast. I figured, hey, man, we're, we're just talking movies. Like, it's a good name to get on the show. And, oh, man, no, brother, I don't do podcasting because I'm going to say one wrong thing about one person, and someone's <laughs> going to take that clip and put it up on YouTube and they're going to get that clickbait from Honky Tonk Man talking trash about Hulk Hogan. And I, I and Anthony <laughs> Idol. You'd have to give him. That's pretty good. <laughs> Anthony Idol. Anthony Idol popped right up on my defense. Like, well, you're, you're just talking about movies. It's not it's not wrestling. And he goes, oh, man, I'm going to say one thing about Robert De Niro. And it's going to be Honky Tonk <laughs> Man shooting on Robert De Niro. And so so I told him I, I told him. Like anytime I ask someone that I consider a name, I don't want to be a dick. I don't want to be rude. But I, I tell them, hey, man, you know, I, I, I got, you know, it's not a, it's not a big deal. I've had an Academy Award nominated actor on my show. You don't want to do my show? No skin off my back. And I had no problem with it. And then like 20 minutes later, he starts giving me more excuses. Oh, man, I ain't never do, man, I don't do podcasts. Like 20 minutes later, like I've already let it gone. 20 minutes later, man, I don't do podcasts. I did Colt Cabana's podcast once because I promised that boy that I would do his show. And then he saw me a couple months later and God damn it, he sat me down and he put me to my word. And so I, <laughs> I, I, I didn't have an issue with it. No more than a month later, guess who's on fucking Colt Cabana's podcast again? The goddamn honky tonk right. man. That's who. And so that just put me through the roof. Like, like, he wanted to make a big deal out of it on why he wouldn't do it. And and so I, I literally looked at Idol and I said, well, Idol, you're you're good to go, right? And he said, yeah, let's do it. Because if you listen to the Anthony Idol show, that's the day we filmed it at the at the fair. The day I wanted yeah. to get Honky Tonk Man. I, I heard that one, yeah. And he tried to make a big deal. He's like, oh, what, you can't get me? So you're going to get someone else? And I just looked at him and I said, the only reason I came to the fair, Honky, was to get people on my pod. That's how close I know him, is I can just call him Honky, and he doesn't get mad at me. I say, the only reason I came to the fair, Honky, is because I wanted to get people on my show, one of which was you. You can't do it, so I'm going to get Anthony. We're going to go do my show. 
and I went and recorded my episode with Anthony Idol. That's funny. I've never actually like, like I've told people I do, I've told people in the wrestling world that story, but I've never actually like told the story on the show. So I, I, that was kind of a side tangent. I apologize. I only see Steven now. Where'd Dan go? Dan's here. You're just okay, uh, technically challenged, Dan. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I mean, I know you've gone through and you, so you made the transition as a manager. Sure. And then I, I regretfully had missed the last – I saw the buildup to your retirement, not, so to speak. Not sure. And I saw as that story was building, what happened? Was that something that you – did you get hurt or were you just really just done with it? Like, what, um, Can you kind of tell us that before we – Sure. I mean, I can, I, can, I can get into that. Uh, I, real quick, though, just because just we, we kind of touched on the wrestling, I'll give you a quick ramp up of how I became a manager just to complete that little – um, so Tommy, Tommy for a year straight bumped me as a, a referee, uh, whether it be me getting pulled into a super kick from another wrestler, whether it be him picking someone up on the shoulder and me taking head, whether it be me being pulled into a spear or a splash, Tommy, every show for a full year, knocked me out as a referee unintentionally come to, uh, Tommy, Ricky are tag team champions going up against Anchors Away. They're the faces. Anchors Away are the heels. Anchors Away pulls a chair into the ring and goes to use it. Tommy takes it, goes to use it himself. I take the chair. Tommy spits in my face after I yell at him that he can't have the chair. He super kicks them. I knock out Tommy with the chair. I take Anchors Away. I put him on top. I fast count him. I cost him the belt. They fucked with me that match, by the way. If you ever find that that, that <laughs> show, they mess with me. They do a double count out. I know for a fact that I'm supposed to turn that match, and Tommy's acting like he's got a bum knee and he can't walk, and I'm counting seven, eight, and I'm just, they can see that I'm not wanting to count to ten, and I, ten, right. <laughs> and I call for the bell and I look at one of them in the ring. I look at Ricky Mandel and I go, what the fuck is this? What is this? This is my turn. And he goes, I don't know, man. I don't know. And they get on, <laughs> and they get on the mic and they go, not this way. Not this way. Restart the match. They were doing it just to mess with me. And I know Tommy was doing it because one of the greatest ways I ever messed with Tommy is he was doing a match where the finish was supposed to be. He jumped in through the third and second rope with his feet on the second rope as leverage. And I went one, two, and then I went, oh, my shoulder. I, 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 I messed up. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> which, which the opponent got more mad at than Tommy did. Tommy got me in the corner. He's like, oh, I love you. Oh, that was amazing. I hate you. I hate you. Um, so that was just him getting back. Uh, so then I get into the whole management. To, to get into what, what it is, I, I, was in, I enjoyed my time. I, I had done a lot of things. I'm very grateful for the people that I was able to work with. Uh, I was able to smash Paul London in, in, in the head with a cup of ice. Uh, I was able to openly mock D, D'Lo Brown wearing a catcher's vest. How many people can say they've openly mocked D'Lo Brown, let alone wearing a gimmick that he had, right? It's funny, like, yeah. I gave him the full head, the full fingers and the head bobble. Um, I told him, you looking at the real deal. Uh, I, I, I looked at, uh, at, at little Cholo, AKA Mr. Cisco. And I, I looked at him and I said, this is our temple. Like he's on Lucha underground where they wrestle in the temple. And yeah. I'm able to look at him and go, this is our temple. Uh, it's just silly stuff like that. Uh, dirty Doug versus Kikutaro is one of the funnest matches that I've ever seen or been involved with. 
Um, so is a character. That's a strange one for me. <laughs> I, 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 I talked to him, dude, as soon as I can get back with him in person, he's, he's a guest on my show. He has said he'll do it. I love, I love Kikutaro. When I loved him when he was Ebisan. Like, that dude's been wrestling forever. Uh, so I was very fortunate enough to, to, do, to, to be able to do what I want. Like, I can even say I wrestled in a championship match at SoCal Pro. Tommy Wilson, for one of the anniversary shows, held a gauntlet. And he, uh, he, he had a, a full five-man gauntlet. And I was the first man out. Because not many people know this, but I did wrestle as well. I wrestled under the name Vance Lamborghini, which was actually a mantle that was actually passed on to several wrestlers as well for one-offs. But I look at Tommy, and he looks at me, and he goes, you can call the whole match. And I went, easy, Backland Diesel. That's like the best finish ever, Backland Diesel. So I, I take the second rope. I go, let's do this. I hop off. I go right into Tommy's boot. Sit down, power bomb. That was the match. So I've been very fortunate enough. So we saw what was coming, and, and we kind of had our plans laid out. Uh, and and I would like to say, if Anthony Idol had never injured himself, which he legitimately did, he really tore both of his pecs. Yeah, that looks pretty brutal. He really had to have reconstructive surgery to have them both attached. Like, like he went through the physical therapy, and it was it was brutal for him. If he had never injured himself, we probably would have never broken up. Everett Scott International would probably still be together and would probably still be running strong. But he injured himself. And, and you know, you play it by the hip and you, you, you have your plans. And a face turn was good for Anthony. And Doug, I'm not saying that Doug wanted to go do his own thing. But there was... there. The plans that he's he's tag team champ with Mr. Incredible or yeah. Mr. Impressive. Yeah, Mr. Impressive. You know, him and him and Impressive are the tag team champions. Baby, if you happen to be at that show, because for the people that don't know, Mr. Impressive happens to actually be friends with Kofi Kingston and legitimately got Kofi Kingston to film an introduction for them. It was amazing. Yeah, I oh. saw that. I was at that show. All right, so um Doug, Doug is on the path that he is. I don't know if, if Usagi's plans to retire had actually... He, he hadn't discussed it with us at that point in time, but he had been talking about how he did want to kind of turn face a little bit. So everything ended up kind of just working out for everyone in the long run. I got my one match... People got to really see me get my ass kicked. The most that anyone had ever seen before that was Tommy Wilson power bombing me through the tables. And, and I don't, I'm pretty sure you weren't even around at that point. So Tommy Wilson from the inside of the ring power bombed me from the inside of the ring to the outside of the ring. Uh, wow, dude, that sounds gnarly. Was that, were you feeling that one for a couple of days? Uh, it was, it was, uh, not nearly as much as I was the coast to coast. Uh, so essentially, uh, I was coming to a point where I was really deciding what I wanted to do, whether I wanted to stay in the business, whether I wanted to just kind of retire and walk away. And I was really happy. I looked back and I was very fortunate enough with the people that I've been able to work because that even with refereeing, like, there's a handful of people that I always forget about. I've refereed for 
you know, Rick Steiner. I've refereed for um, Marty Gennetti. I've refereed for for Mascara Sangrada, who's a real fucking dick. Really, I've I've seen that guy wrestle. Yeah, I've, I I refereed I refereed a match that had uh, Brian Cage and um, Eli Drake. Uh, Brian Cage and Eli Drake were a tag team at one point, uh, and they were uh, GMSI, uh, which is actually uh, what Brian Cage calls himself now, Mister GMSI. Do you know what GMSI stands for? No. Get my shit in. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Try, so does that refer to trying to get all your get all your all your moves spots in and everything? All your in? spots yeah. in. Yeah, they were yeah. GMSI, uh, and they they were they were a tag team that was managed by Percy Pringle the Third, aka Paul Bear. Wow, interesting. So so I've I've been fortunate enough that I worked a show where I refereed for Percy Pringle the Third, and uh, it's it's a great thing. He gave me he gave me so much hassle outside of the ring but in the back he was so nice he was such a, a an awesome gentleman i remember because it was on a baseball field and they had to from the baseball field to the exit they brought them on a golf cart the wrestling and the talent not the referee the referee just had to walk to the ring and i remember them driving by and percy pringles going going nick patrick earl hebner tommy young you're the drizzling shits compared to all of them that's awesome. As he's just talking smack as they're driving by, and I'm just like, "Thanks, Percy, thanks." Right. But, but he yeah. was no, and he was great in the back. Uh, so I, I got, I got, it got to the point where the anniversary show was coming up, and we we had speculated a handful of of ideas and matches of what we were going to do, and it ended up being a street fight. A street fight worked great, and uh, I think I don't know if I talked to you about this when when we spoke last time. But I told them essentially I wanted three things, and I got all three things. I wanted to hit a blockbuster, I wanted to hit a cannonball, and I wanted to hit a coast to coast. And I got all three. You did it, huh? I did. I could really see SoCal Pro really for a while they were building up the a great storyline, and that was then they had a period of time where they went for like, they were doing every like month a show in the warehouse. And then there was a break, and then I couldn't make it for a period of time. So I was really disappointed to to miss that show in particular, which was your last one. That would have been a pretty good um, way to finish it. So can you just kind of give me like a quick rundown of that of that match, and then sure, sort sure. of how that went for you at the end? And was that emotional? I mean, imagine having spent that much time doing it and having buddies and stuff that it would have been sure. significant to you. I didn't. I can I can safely say I knew I was walking away. And I didn't cry, which I was really happy with. Uh, the buildup for all of it uh, was great. Were you at the Rumble that year? Were you there for that part? Yes, I was. So you saw my Rumble. My One of the things, another thing I wanted to do in wrestling, Rumble entry. I was happy I got that. Um, let alone, I, I, I eliminated Anthony Idol. And the fun thing with that, and I, I'm not sure anyone really caught it, my wrestling name that I was introduced as was Randall Tex Cobb Jr. Randall Tex Cobb is is a gentleman from the '80s that he, dude, he was he was in every. Have you seen Raising Arizona? Yeah, I have. He's the biker. He's the apocalypse biker. That's <laughs> that's Randall Tex Cobb, and so I was announced as Randall Tex Cobb Jr. Um, Here's here's how much I love movies, and this would have been something great at the beginning. My character Everett Scott is a movie character. Everett Scott is a character in a movie. Really? Yeah. Explain. He's, from, 
he's from the Rocky Horror Picture Show, Dr. Everett Scott. He's the guy in the wheelchair. I did the Rocky Horror Picture Show for seven and a half years. No shit, really? Wow. I, uh, I, I participated in a what we call a shadow cast, and that is a cast that acts out the movie in front of a screen as it is being played. Well, where did you see that, Steve? Encinitas, California, where you can still see it today, not nearly as good as it was in its heyday with my cast, but you can still see it today at the La Paloma Theater in Encinitas, California, with the cast of Crazed Imaginations every Friday at midnight. <clears throat> I have played every character in the Rocky Horror Picture Show, with the exception of Janet Weiss and Magenta. Wow, I would never did not know that. Never would have guessed. Never would have guessed. Uh, no. So I had a buddy who was involved with wrestling, who liked wrestling, uh, and I was trying to come up with referee names. And one of my friends looks at me and goes, why not Everett Scott? That sounds professional enough. And it came to a week later when I was at the show and they were like, what's your referee name? And I went, uh, Everett Scott. Nice. <laughs> and so uh, Everett Scott was born. And from there, when I became a manager, it just became ESI, Everett Scott International. That's great. Yeah. Uh, but so, breaking, sorry, sorry, breaking down the match because you had asked me to break down yeah, the match. Yeah, yeah, please. Oh. Uh, I did, I did like the one face thing that no heel should ever do, uh, in coming on out. I had my father at the show. So, so as I come out for the anniversary show, my dad is there. I give him a big hug. Uh, I give him a kiss on the cheek. I give him my satchel. I give him my glasses. That was the main reason I was, I was passing off my shit. So I give my dad a hug and a kiss. I go in the ring. I'm very lucky. Um, my referee for the match is Rick Knox. The, the great AEW referee. So Knox is there. Idol comes out. We, we start up. I had made tearaway pants. So Idol gives me a big forearm. I go back. He literally grabs my pants and rips them off of me. I then turn around to the corner. He then forearms me. After he forearms me, I drop to the floor and the expression on my look of, of what the fuck was that was because he really laid it in the pocket. Because he got he, you good, huh? <laughs> because I messed because I messed up. He ripped the pants off and I was supposed to turn into the corner and drop on my own. I forgot to drop. He gave me the motive to drop. I see. Eventually, so we had alluded in the promos leading up to me giving money to someone to me giving money to, to, to someone to help me out. And from that, MCM, Man Crush Monday, Ryan Kidd and Jordan Cruz come running out to my aid. Um, they helped me get a little bit of an upper hand on Idol. From there, I believe that's when I hit my blockbuster. They get their asses handed to them. They powder out. A couple moves later, Dirty Doug and Usagi come running out. They get the, the boots on them. I hit the cannonball. We have Idol dead to rights in front of us, and I have a kendo stick in my hand. And I lean down, and you hear me. You can see me mutter something to him, and I'll, I'll tell you. I don't, I don't mind telling you now. Uh, it, is, it is that exact Shawn Michaels, Ric Flair moment to where I said, I'm sorry. I love you. <laughs> and, and then I crack him nice. straight on the forehead with a kendo stick. 
Um, and I said it low enough, and, and you can might make out the words on YouTube. But when you see me lean down and say something, I'm saying, I'm sorry, I love you. Yeah, I saw the pictures of him with his head split open, I think, right? And, and then I crack him, and then Dirty Doug cracks him in the back because he didn't want to be cracked in the head twice. There was one thing I told him. I told him I will do anything in this match, but I do not want to be hit with a kendo stick. I told him, no kendo. And he was fine with that. He took the kendo. And then Usagi went to hit him, and he, ah! And then I, I, I push Usagi, and I went, I hit him, Doug hit him, you hit him. And he goes to hit him, he goes, ah! I then I smack the shit out of Usagi. Usagi goes, okay, okay, goes to hit Idol, hits Doug. Dark Usagi official face turn, turning his back on ESI. Him and Doug go powdering out. It's that moment, and I love it because they have it on camera, where I go between the third and the second rope, and I'm leaning out. I'm going, you guys, what are you doing? Where are you going? And then you just have that moment where you re where it, truth and the moment, reality, settles in, and I go, oh. <laughs> and I do that slow, like, turn, and I see him. I go, Idol, hey, we're friends. I got money. Right, right. that's that's Everett's big gimmick. Like everything he does, he does because he has money, because um, he can pay for it all, because he's international. Uh, and Idol gives gives me the handshake, and uh, he wanted me right away to oh, but I wanted people to get that moment. I wanted people to really, really think like. So I gave it a beat. I gave it a solid beat, and then it was well. Why are you crushing my hand? Why are you crushing my hand? And then Idol gets me. And then a fun thing, he kicks me in the balls, which I forgot about. And he kicks me in the balls, and then he gives me the Falcon driver. Boom! And that was the end of ESI. Awesome. That sounds like a great, great uh, exit. Did they do anything for you, or was it kind of just... No. 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 I did, did fucking uh, Jeff Jarrett and Dr. Wagner were on that card. Like, yeah. super crazy wrestled on that show. Like... Uh, no, no, no. I had uh, the, the biggest the biggest compliment that I'll, I'll share just because I loved it is is little Cholo came up to me and complimented me on my match, especially the coast to coast, which is like a high which I, I love everything that that Cholo does in the ring. I think he's amazing. Like he's one of the standards. So to have him tell me like to compliment me on the match was just amazing, even with everything that I'd been through yoked up my back. Absolutely, one hundred percent yoked up my back. Uh, could not walk on my own on my own strength to the car. I had to have assistance. Uh, wow! Could, How long were you laid out for? Two days. Two days <laughs> after <laughs> after after two days, I was able to walk fine. But that night, going upstairs, I had to crawl up the stairs. I couldn't walk. Wow! I slept, I slept on the couch. I didn't even sleep in my bed that night. I slept on the couch. It was just painful. It, it was it was worth it. So it's it for fake. That's right. <laughs> well, people that I, that always goes back to people that tell me that it's fake. I'm always like, well, fuck. Go ask go ask Hardcore Holly about how he felt yeah. when Kurt Angle broke his arm in the ring. Like, yeah. I've been very fortunate enough, and and I've had a lot of fun with with my time in wrestling, and I'm very lucky that I've been able to continue uh, my my so-called success over into uh, my podcast of the last podcast you'd want. Awesome. Well, hey, man, thanks for coming on and uh, talking with us. It was like I said, I've enjoyed listening to yours and I appreciate the input that you had. But no, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Uh, I've, I've been, uh, you know, I, I, I download your show every week. I try and listen when I can, uh, just because much like yourself, I got I got a ton of backlogs. 
and you cover got you guys cover stuff that I like I like as well. So uh, being able to to help support, listen, uh, be part of, uh, I'm I'm always I'm always grateful. So thank you uh, for having me on. Okay, well thank you a lot, Stephen, and uh, join us on the next Scatterbrained. See you later, Dan. All right, thanks thanks, Steve. Thank <laughs> you.